If it hasn't already, in the coming days, the lasting impact of the coronavirus pandemic is going to make itself felt in each of our lives. And it may introduce some unsettling uncertainty about our future. We may ask ourselves, how am I going to do it? Life, that is. Not only make ends meet, but have means to spare. Not only survive, but thrive. Not only stay alive, but actually live. What will you and I be trusting in to see us through? Now, for each of us, there is something towards which we have an irresistible attraction and to which we have an irreversible attachment in the belief that it gives us life and keeps us from death. That, friends, is by definition a god. Most of the gods which command our allegiance are not out of reach somewhere in the heavens, but within easy reach here on earth. We all have one, because consciously or unconsciously, we all know there is no life without one. What then is it that we're trusting in to give us life? Is it by any chance money? That's not a question from me to you. That's a question that Jesus is asking both me and you. Are you trusting in money to be your rock and anchor in this and every storm? Jesus assumes that this is a God which we easily find ourselves irresistibly attracted to, a God to whom we easily find ourselves irreversibly attached Now, money in itself is no bad thing. It is a commodity, and it has proven a good and useful commodity within the workings of human society, one that should be used to bless. The problems begin when we take that which is good and elevate it to a status it was never meant to have, when we ascribe to it godlike capabilities and let it have a godlike influence. No one is immune from having money begin to function in this way in their lives. Think of that rich man who reckons his life secure because of the balance of his bank account and the state of his financial investments. He may grow proud believing that money is the guarantee that he will remain free of the worst sufferings and hardships, even believing that money will somehow make him immune from them. But think also of the poor woman who reckons her life insecure because she has no bank balance and no financial investments. She may grow bitter at having little money because she also believes that money is what will free her from sufferings and hardship, believing that wealth would grant her immunity. It is very common for both the richest person and the poorest person to be trusting in money to see them through. For both the rich and poor, money can and does function as a god. The world over, people are resting their very lives upon it. Here in London, money is too often our god by default. We have a hard time noticing this because everyone is in service to it and few are modelling what it means to be free from it. If I check my bank balance this afternoon, and the figure is much higher than I'm assuming it will be on this date. Will I walk away elated, believing that my life and the life of my family is somehow more secure? 
If I check my bank balance and the figure is much lower than I'm assuming it will be, will I walk away deflated, becoming anxious that my life is somehow less secure? It needs to be said that it is right and proper that we stay in control of our finances, and the attempt to do that can be a real headache. But what mustn't happen is for your finances to take control of you. When money comes in and you're elated, believing your life to be more secure, when money goes out and you're anxious, believing your life to be less secure, that's when money is starting to function as your God. However subtle that may be, that's when alarm bells should start to ring. The occasion for Jesus' parable here in Luke 12 is this man who has come to him with a pressing concern. Now, this is probably his one shot at getting something from Jesus. So it better make it a good request and not waste it on something trivial. Teacher, he says there in verse 13, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here's the big thing that was troubling him. This man's eldest brother had come into the family inheritance. And for one reason or another, this man isn't satisfied with what his brother has apportioned to him. Now, it was customary for the eldest son in a family to receive a double portion when the inheritance was paid out. In other words, he would take home twice as much. What then is the presenting problem in this man's grievance with his brother? Jesus straight away sees what it is. Verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now that's not how the man presented it, but that's what Jesus recognizes it to be, greed. This man was jealous that his older brother was taking home twice as much as he was. Was it because he felt himself to be more deserving of that wealth? Was it because he felt his brother was undeserving of that wealth? Possibly each of these thoughts were in play. But this greed itself is only the presenting issue. Jesus is quick to diagnose the root issue. Again, verse 15, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed... Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This man was of the belief that his life did consist in the abundance of his possessions. On that basis, he couldn't bear the thought that his brother had more life than he did. It's ugly, isn't it? But over this past year... Who of us hasn't glanced over our neighbor's fence to determine which of us has been having the better life during lockdown? Now, we may be starting to see why having money function as our God is a bad thing. Let's ponder that a moment. You'll recall I said we all have a God and consciously or unconsciously we know that there is no life without one. If that is so, does it really matter which God we opt for? Surely one God is as good as the next, and money is a better fit than many. But Jesus intrudes upon this thinking with the claim that there is only one true God, 
And that true God is uniquely revealed to us in Jesus himself. This outrageous claim immediately reduces all other contenders to being false gods. And it's not simply that false gods do us no good. Jesus wants us to understand that these false gods do us harm. False gods tend to have this in common. They never satisfy. Indeed, as time goes by, they leave you less and less satisfied. They may promise you more life, but instead they consume your existing life. And in the end, they only deliver you over to death. With all this in mind, listen to this parable of Jesus as he tells it there from verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Notice, this man is already rich. His lifestyle will have been impacted no more by a bad crop than by a good crop that year. But a good crop it is. He has plenty in surplus. That is plenty to share. But does he share it? No. Why not? Greed. What this man needs then is to stop being greedy. Yes, but how do you stop greed? Remember, greed is only ever the presenting issue. For this farmer to truly change, the root issue needs to be addressed. Money is the God in his life which needs toppling. This ongoing building of bigger and bigger barns. I can't help but think of Jeff Bezos, today the richest man in the world. I wonder what size of simple shed he built when Amazon first got started. How does that compare to the size and complexity of the warehouses that Amazon builds today? I'm sure I'd be in awe of it if I ever got to visit one. Jesus' mention of bigger and bigger barns has an air of shrine building about it. There's something very religious in this practice. This farmer believes he is living life to the full. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry is his motto. But of course, there will be nothing restful about this for him. Are those barns really secure enough, dry enough, full enough? Money is a God that is never satisfied and never truly satisfies you. And in its service, that enjoyment and peace you hoped it would bring remains elusive. But ultimately, the wealth itself will be taken from you or you from it whichever comes first. Verse 20, God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself?
all false gods have this in common. They cannot rescue you in the face of death. Oh, they may promise you life. And to some limited extent, they may add to your life. But then the dreaded night comes and they are shown up for how impotent they really are. How do you topple a false god? Remember, a person is never without one god or another. We are each of us irresistibly attracted to and irreversibly attached to something which is functioning as god in our lives. Human nature abhors a vacuum when it comes to worship. This tells us that the only way we are going to get shot of one God in our lives is if that God is ousted by another. It's always one in, one out. And if a new God is to replace an old God, then the new one must prove more attractive to us than the old. This man, there in the crowd, he was struggling with greed because he was worshipping a God which could never be satisfied. But now he finds himself standing before Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Here is the one God who gives generously and freely to us, so that we can know a true satisfaction in this life, so that we can eat, drink and be merry with the measure that he supplies. Here is the one God who today supplies our daily bread so that we don't have to store a surplus. Here is the one God who by his own example encourages us to live soberly and simply so that we can set limits beyond which we freely choose not to live so that our plenty or our want is no longer the measure of our life. Here is a God who instead of instilling a selfish greed inspires a selfless generosity so that we most naturally start to share our surplus. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, says this Jesus. No, a man's life consists in having him. So, what or who is it you're trusting in to see you through this season of unsettling uncertainties? Let's make it increasingly Jesus. Here is the brother whose certain inheritance, which he willingly divides with us, is nothing less than life itself. Amen.